once you become debt free, it's a different life. It's a completely different life. You will have so much more freedom than you had before. And you tend to make much better decisions in life because you're not burdened by, I have to make more money. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today, I talk about the concept of simplicity and how it can make our lives better if we embrace it in a mindful way. And to do this, I talk to Gary Collins, who offers advice about simple living, health, and self-reliance through his website, thesimplelifenow.com, as well as a number of self-published books on the topic. I actually found and interviewed Gary through a social media call for guest suggestions back in the days before the pandemic. And while I wasn't previously familiar with his work, I like that Gary's advice comes from a place where you usually don't hear it. Indeed, while many self-help folks base themselves in urban areas, Gary lives off the grid in northeastern Washington state, which is why you can hear occasional audio connection lapses in our Skype interview. His perspective is informed by both trial and error and the fact that he grew up without having a lot of money and hence has always been familiar with the common sense sacrifices and values ethic that simple living entails. Our conversation digs into health and lifestyle choices, debt and decluttering, and correcting bad credit card habits. We talk about saving money by renting in your lifestyle in cities versus saving money by moving off-grid in a cheaper part of the country. And we talk about what, besides travel, you can do to follow your happiness once the simple life leaves you with more time and money than you're used to having. This episode is sponsored in tandem with Tortuga's holiday sale. You might recall I took a Tortuga set-out pack around the world last year. Tortuga packs are more or less designed for vagabonding-style journeys, and the set-out was an essential part of my lightweight three-month journey across Asia. To take advantage of their holiday sale, just go to rolfpotscom Tortuga, and any backpack or backpack accessory you order there will automatically apply for a discount at checkout that will translate to 20% off on purchases of $200, 25% off on purchases of $300, and a 30% discount on backpack products amounting to $500 or more. The holiday sale lasts until December 21st, and if you order by December 15th, you'll get free ground shipping and delivery before Christmas. Tortuga doesn't usually do holiday sales, so this is a great chance to save money on a great product. Again, just use the rolfpots.com Tortuga address to shop for packs and get the discount. All right, let's talk about how you can use simplicity to create more freedom in life. I found out about you through referral, actually. I put a call on social media for possible guests, and I was interested in your specific subject matter, which is life simplification, which has always been an interest of mine, especially as it pertains to travel, but also as it pertains to life in general. You have a website called thesimplelifenow.com. Uh, what's your story? How did you come to be a person who is focused on and 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 really communicating to people about the process of life simplification. I grew up in a small town called Lone Pine, which is in California on the way to Mammoth Mountain. You know, about 1,800 people. And so I grew up poor in a trailer in the middle of nowhere. The town I, I was attached to was about 100 people, about 20 miles away from that small town. So I grew up, you know, hunting, fishing, outdoors, you know, grew up in the 70s, 80s. There was no cell phones. There was no internet. We were free range. We just Left when we woke up, came home when it turned dark. And if we weren't home by dark, you know, our parents started calling around trying to figure out where the heck we were at. That's where the, the original journey started was just life in general, just growing up. From there, I ended up uh, 
first kid to go to college. So I went to college and went to uh, San Diego State. Big college, fish out of water. From there, started off as a mechanical engineer, ended up in criminal justice in the end, and went into military and then federal law enforcement. And during that career, traveling all over the world uh, with the U.S. State Department, primarily in the beginning, just kind of opened my eyes up to how other cultures live, kind of like how you've done. And under start understanding that the simple things in life are the most important, right? And after 20 years in the government, I just realized I was pretty beat up, burned out, was living in, you know, lived all across the country in big cities and just didn't like it anymore. Didn't like the job, didn't like where my life was at and basically rebooted, restarted. I sold my house for a, a loss in San Diego, sold all, most of my belongings and ended up renting a cottage still in San Diego as I was plotting my moves, what I was going to do and, uh, reduced my, my monthly expenditures by two thirds, reduced my living size by 75% almost. So this whole metamorphosis and I bought a, a small 18 foot RV, which I eventually moved into, but I'd been renting that place for about four years. But I'd hatched this plan while I was in the government even of living remotely, going back to my roots, living in the mountains. And during this time, it, it kind of evolved into a possible off-grid situation. I wasn't real sure because I hadn't – I'd lived kind of off-grid when you figure in how remotely I grew up. You know, we were still tied to public uh, power, but otherwise that was it. Phone and power was all we had. You know, we had our own well. We had our own septic system. With that, I just kind of put the plan together. Uh, some life issues had to happen uh, to kind of force my, force my plan. And I decided, uh, you know, enough talking about it, I was just going to do it. I'd fallen in love with Northeast Washington, Washington in general. I'd been all over the country and I'd kind of narrowed things down. So I came up here for two weeks and uh, looking for land. I'd been looking for years and found 20 acres, that was a really good deal, remote uh, in the mountains and, you know, raw land. There was nothing there. And, and bought it and built that house. And you're talking to me from Northeast Washington now. For my listeners, if the audio occasionally falls out, that's because uh, off-the-grid life sometimes doesn't have the same speed of Wi-Fi. But for all of that, there are some advantages in that, which I want to get to, you know, the advantages and motivation for off-grid living in a second. I'm curious, since you advise people in mm -hmm. this sort of lifestyle quite a bit, um, yet you you sort of started at a fairly you know simple uh, lifestyle, uh, close to the land sort of lifestyle. Do you find sometimes it's hard for people who've lived a purely urban or suburban life to understand what you're getting at? And how do you communicate to those sort of people uh, about the, the advantages of the lifestyle that you've embraced? Yeah, the lifestyle can be kind of obtuse to people who live – you know, more city living. And what I, I tell them is, you know, I, what, my simple living principles are based upon, I call it the three-legged stool of optimal health, financial freedom, and finding your life purpose. And I go, just because I live off the grid and I live remotely and I went on this journey, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to, to live the life you want. You can apply the principles that I use anywhere, right? Because I don't expect people to quit their jobs and move away from the city and pull their families away just on a whim. I, I never suggest that. 
that I, I say there's two things you need if you're going to live off the grid or live more remotely, a plan and money. <laughs> Without those two, I've watched people fail time and time again. So the principles still apply. You know, uh, I'm teaching people that, you know, the biggest pillar of what I teach is you got to get your health in order. I mean, everything in life is much easier once you get your health in line and kind of understand what that that is about. And that's simplifying again, right? Eating real food, moving, exercising, becoming debt free, and then finding what is your true life purpose? Why are you here? You know, what, what do you want to do and get out of life that will not only make you happy, but benefits others? So I think that can be applied anywhere you live. So you don't have to live my lifestyle to, to live uh, the simple life is the best way to put it. Well, one thing you, you point out in, in your books is that there's cities like New York and Los Angeles, but also Seattle and, and other cities that aren't necessarily seen as super expensive places where to sort of live a air quotes normal lifestyle, you need to make like six figures. You need to make a little over $100,000 a year to live in those places. Mm -hmm. um, and so why – what are the – what are the pitfalls of, of, of city living and, and is it is it possible to live in those sorts of cities uh, and employ the kind of simplicity that you espouse? You can. It's obviously very difficult because the cost of living is so high and that's a choice you have to make. And I, I've talked to people, I've, I've, people who follow me have left big cities, expensive cities and gone remotely and live very rural now. But in order for you to maintain that lifestyle – you always have to make more money, right? That's where we're caught in consumerism, our consumer society today. I tell people, well, if you just actually t take a look at your finances, you can not make, it, not make more money but actually gain more freedom and be more financially free by reducing debt load, by not falling into that I need an $80,000 car when you really only need a $25,000 car. Do you need a four or five-bedroom house? in the suburbs, you know, do you, do you need that? And that's what it more of it's about too, is reevaluating the things that are important. Do you do it just because society has told you that that's the right thing to do? Or do you, are you doing it because it's the right choices to make in life? I think that's where we get caught, right? We're, we're, we're you know, the old saying, uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I tell people it really doesn't matter. Um, it's about your life. It's not about comparing yourself to others. So I think you can. It's just you have to change your philosophy again on what what is important to you and what is important in life. And by doing that, you can again, you can do that in a city, no problem. But you also have to make a choice. Is this where you want to live and the life you want to live for the remainder? Or could you take a major pay cut, live in a small town, have a job that doesn't pay as much and be happier? Those are choices I can't make. You know, those are personal choices. Those those tie into an episode I did last season uh, with the with the founder of Livability, which is a website that encourages people setting up in maybe less fashionable towns but more affordable towns around America that have some of the same perks. Um, but it occurs to me that a lot of the strategies that you espouse 
can apply wherever you live. It's things like not getting your purchase, not letting your purchases get out of hand. It's about not getting into credit card debt, which feels huge and feels like something that comes into people's lives at a very young age anymore. And then also decluttering. And so regardless of if you live in a Seattle or if you live in a, in a smaller town that gives you more flexibility because it costs less, what are the bad habits that you advise people to get out of financially wherever they live? Oh, gosh, there's so many today. <laughs> uh, probably the, you know, I published a book called The Guide to Financial Freedom, where I it's the first, at least that I've seen, financial book. I roll you through, and it's a personal finance book. It's not about investing. There's plenty of those. And I tell people, I go, that's the cart before the horse anyway. And we've proven in society that most Americans have less than a thousand dollars in savings. So why are you buying, you know, investing books if you don't have any money to invest? <laughs> you need to have money to invest first. So I break break it through life how these mistakes we make. And it's basically getting into the credit funnel. You know, we're taught very early that in order to build your credit score, you need to go into debt. Well, that's a complete utter BS. That is upside down of what makes sense. So let me get this straight. I need to be in more and more debt to make my credit score better. Hmm. That it, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it's about like the, most people today, student loans we know is a big one. Buying your first car, getting over your head. I paid cash for my first car. It's fifteen hundred bucks. It got me off, got me through college, part of college. It got me through high school. Worked fine. Um, and then, you know, from going from college, then, you know, you're, you're buying clothes that you shouldn't be buying, you can't afford. And it's just this kind of systematic, you know, paying 50 grand for a wedding for one day, you know, then you buy a house, you put it on 30 year loan and you buy far more than you technically should be buying because the mortgage company said, you know, said, Hey, you qualify for $500,000. Well, why don't you buy a $500,000 house? That's what we do. And what happens is it perpetuates this life cycle of debt. And I tell people, you just have to look at things more clearly. Again, what is important? You know, I, 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 I know I made people aggravated a few with the wedding thing because it's the special day. And I go, it really isn't when you look at it that way. I go, it's a special day for you and your partner and your family. It's not a special day for the wedding planner, the caterer, the photographer. You know what I mean? It's we get so drawn into these things and most people are fairly young when they get married. So they're already, they, they could possibly already have two, two car loans, student loans, uh, credit card debt. And now you're going to throw 40, 50 grand on top of that. And then you buy a house. It's almost impossible if you follow that mantra to get out of, right? You, you're, you're basically going into lifelong debt and it's, that's why I try and teach people is just use common sense. If you're not sure what you're going to do in life, why would you finance 50, 60, 100 grand of college debt if you're not quite sure where you're going? I tell people if you're going to go to college and you don't know where you're going to go, I've been a college professor. I've got three degrees. I've seen it on both ends. I go, don't finance it. Go to a junior college. Make sure you can afford it. Take courses. Uh, you know, simple things. I, I mean, to me, it sounds simple, but what I found with talking to people 
is it's almost like groundbreaking at times. Oh, I never thought of doing that because we fall into the system. We're told, right? In order to succeed, you have to go to college. Yeah. No, not for everyone. That's not true. I think there's also this idea that you have to go to college when you're 18. Um, you know, my specialty is travel, and often true. I'll talk to people who they don't feel ready to to go to college yet. But there's this compulsion, especially in America, to go to college. Other countries have gap years. And, and I'm not saying that the gap year is the perfect solution, but it allows you to sort of have a more organic education uh, to things. So I guess to just touch on the, the college expense specifically, how do you know when college is the right choice, given that college credentials aren't necessarily going to get us the job that we thought we would get? Well, and college has drastically changed since I went, you know, in the 80s. That, you know, when I was growing up, not as many people had college degrees. And if you made a mistake going to college, say you picked the wrong major, you ended up deciding you were going to do something else, which was about 50% of the people when I was going through college ended up in a different job than their major. I don't know what the stats are anymore. It wasn't as, uh, you know, it wasn't as much of a bad decision because college wasn't as expensive. The college degree held more weight because fewer people had it. Today, it's a little different. The institutions now with the free-flowing money of our federal government getting involved in college loans, student loans, now colleges charge ridiculous amounts of money. And I tell people, unless you're going into a profession that requires you to have a four-year or you know, a, a, you know, graduate doctorate degree, well, don't go to college. I mean, you don't need to go to college if you're going to, if your desire is to be an artist per se, don't get me wrong, it can help, but it's not necessary. And also, I agree with you. You don't have to go right away. Take take some time. Go, go get a job. You know, I started working when I was 13. You know, so I had, by the time I got into college, I was still working. I worked all through college. Got out of college. I'd been in the workforce a decade. <laughs> by the time I graduated college, I'd done all kinds of terrible jobs, you know, uh, cleaning toilets and all kinds of good stuff, digging ditches. I did it all, but it taught me the value of a dollar, the value of work, also different types of jobs. So unless you're going to be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, you know, a teacher, college professor, just to name a few chemist, why would you, why would you spend all that money to end up in the education system. And especially today, I, I mentor younger people here and there still. And I go, well, you do realize blue collar work just surpassed in certain categories, people with college degrees income. There are blue collar jobs that are in, in such a deficit. There is no one doing them that you can walk out at 60, $70,000 a year as an 18 year old. <laughs> That's insane. And people are all, you're kidding. And I go, no, Go out and pick up a trade, pick up a skill. If you don't like it, you can always go to college later. So I totally agree with you. You know, I'm I'm curious about the the idea of debt and how one gets out from underneath the burden of debt. But before we go there, I want to talk about just the idea of avoiding debt to begin with. And this is probably going to be for some of the younger people in, in my audience. 
sure. What what kind of questions should one ask of oneself? Because I'm I'm thinking just about how much status is is attached to consumption in the U.S. I mean, 50 years ago there was this expose about how the funeral industry was making us feel so guilty about death that it was charging us for all these unnecessary things. And you talked about how oftentimes we'll buy a car that will involve a lot of extras that we actually don't need. Um, there's there's fashion expenses. There's even home expenses that involve excess that we feel like we should embrace, but we really don't need to. So for people who are considering these sorts of purchases, what sort of questions and values should be driving the decisions that they're making? Absolutely. And of uh, of course, I start with health. That's the first one of the first chapters in my new book. But health is a big one in the sense that we it, it's the true irony. We buy more cookbooks today than in all of human history. The flip side is we cook the least amount of our, our own meals than we ever have in history. <laughs> so I always tell people, if you want to save money, and I had to do this in college. I had to buy groceries. I prepared all my own meals. I could not afford. I brought my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in my backpack to school, to class. You know, using your head, can you afford to, I watch college students do this all the time. They eat literally every meal out and I'm all, you can't afford that. What are you doing? Or, you know, getting two sleeves of tattoos. I'm not against tattoos, but if you're 20 years old and you're fifteen, thirty thousand dollars in debt, and you've got $5,000 worth of tattoos on your arms, you're making really bad decisions. And, and looking at a car, cars, transportation, it's to get to point A to point B. I know all those commercials make everyone look really happy in a Lexus and a Cadillac. And that if you don't own one, you're not enjoying life and you're not, you're not popular. Who cares? <laughs> That's commercials. It's to get you to buy something. And then saving. That is the big thing that I learned very early on that helped me a lot. I learned how to save. So when I went to college, I actually had money saved for my entire first year. So I paid for basically I had enough in my savings to pay for my first year of college on my own. I learned that. I had my own car, debt-free. You know, it was a junker. You know, people would call it a junker today. It was a reliable vehicle that could get got good gas mileage and I could fix it. I could work on it. So look at it that way. And then, and then you know, by saving, and I use this as a savings kind of, or, or a, how would I put it? The best way I put it is it's a way to give yourself a raise without getting a raise. As you pay down this debt, as you don't accumulate debt, you're not earning any more money but you actually have more income. So instead of chasing the, the, the carrot and going, I just need more money, and that's what we all say, I need more money, I need to earn more money. No, we don't have an earning problem in this country. We have a savings problem, we have a spending problem in this country. The minimum wage of $15 an hour, which is, you know, we hear this living wage, which is completely ambiguous. I don't even know what that means today. Um, $15 an hour is $31,200 a year if you just work 40 hours. Well, that puts you in the richest 1% in the world in income. Again, we got to start saving. We got to start being wise with our money. Don't purchase the, those items that you don't need. You don't need a $1,000 cell phone if you're in college. You need a phone that works. You need a phone to communicate. You need to get things done. You don't need to be on Facebook 24-7. And those are the kind of things I teach is just prioritize, prioritizing your life and prioritizing your finances. What is 
is important. What is going to truly make you happy? Is buying a new pair of $200 Jordans going to change your life? No, absolutely not. Shoes are to put on your feet to get you again from point A to point B. Or if you're into athletics, there are devices for health, running shoes, you know, things like that. For me, boots, hiking boots, you know. It's just using common sense, and I don't know where we lost it, but we definitely have. Uh, consumerism is taken over, and I know you talk about that as well. Yeah, it almost feels like we're, we're a part of this big shift where it used to be a lot normal to, to grow up in the country or grow up in, in very simple circumstances. Um, but maybe in the last 30, 40, 50 years, it's, it, we're, we're living in a more urbanized, suburbanized world, which is fine. But that's also accompanied by ideas about how we're supposed to live, what constitutes success in sort of the material or the status way. And I know that some people end up getting in debt oftentimes because, you know, credit card companies or, or even, you know, colleges to an extent. I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of colleges, but I know that there can be some problems with the university, in particular, the debt that it saddles people with. Once you're in debt, what are some strategies for dealing with it and getting out of it and, and really winning yourself more freedom from underneath this financial obligation that may have existed before you even really thought very seriously about what would make you happy and successful? Well, and the first thing would probably be looking at your living situation, right? How much are you paying? And this is one thing that I found most people do not do, and they do not tabulate their monthly expenses. So they kind of know how much they earn. They have a roundabout idea but they have no idea how much they spend every month. They never put pen to paper. And I, that's the first thing I tell people is you need to grab every bill, every expense, and you need to write it down. You need to figure out how much you're spending every month and where that money is going. Most people are fairly shocked when they do that of figuring out, okay, I just spent $1,500 eating out this month. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> we might want to work on that. I actually had clients back in the day that spent over $30,000 a year eating out. And I was like, you can't figure out why you're unhealthy and broke. I think it's pretty, pretty obvious. And I think that's becoming more common. But the thing is, once you get your expenses out, start figuring out what are the ones you can chip away at. Because most people uh, once they do this, they kind of get, they get a little depressed and they find it kind of start to lose hope. They go, Oh my God, God, I didn't realize how much debt I'm in. I didn't realize how much money I'm spending. No, wait, wait, wait. We can fix this. Every problem's fixable. We just need to analyze and figure out where we start. Usually it's credit cards because that's the place where I tell people, take a look at your credit cards. First of all, most people only need one credit card. You don't need 10. And you need one main one. It should be for emergencies. That's what I do. And go through and pay off the, the one with the least balance first just to kind of get your feet wet. And this is kind of Dave Ramsey-ish. You know, he teaches this as well. But what it does, even though you're putting off maybe some of the bigger debts with higher interest, it gets one out of the way. And what it does is it gives you confidence to realize, okay, I can do this. And then move on to the next one. The next one, I always say, just do it in a chain lowest the highest unless you have one that has a ridiculous interest rate. You know, if you have a credit card that's 20 plus percent, yeah, you might want to start working on that one as soon as possible. But credit cards are kind of the ground zero. That's kind of our introduction to, uh, you know, the crack pipe of debt. That's <laughs> what I like to put, say. 
So kind of eliminate those and get through and get through your credit cards and stop using them. That's the biggest thing is people try and pay them down and they keep using them. You can't do that. Once we start this, you cannot use credit cards anymore. That's done. You got to pay them off. And then once you pay them off, you get one, one emergency one. And emergencies aren't buying a new set of golf clubs and a new pair of shoes. It has to be an emergency. And then we start turning into using cash. Use cash more. Set budgets with cash. And from there, you know, the living situation is a little harder, especially people in big cities. You know, it's not uncommon to have a three, four, or five thousand dollar house payment. Easy. And look at it and go, do we really need this house? Do we need this? Can we downsize? Can we sell this? Can we get out from under this? And that's one of the biggest things I wrote in the new book that is shocking people. Real estate was my side hustle in the government. I've owned several houses. This is the third house I've built. I'm not an amateur. I understand how the numbers work. The average American today will lose money on their house. That is a fact. And people go, oh, you're full of it. It's an invest. No, it's not. I crunch the numbers. This whole book is done with numbers. I do it with basic math. I prove all my work. And I show that if you buy a house the way you're taught today, the way we're told, you're going to lose money. You're going to lose money in that house. You're not going to lo- lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. So look at that house and look at your living situation and decide if you can downsize, maybe live a little further out. And it's those kind of things. And then looking at your automobiles. Do you need that automobile? Do you need two cars? Do you have three cars? Do you need all those cars? It reduces insurance. It will reduce, you know, you could get rid of two of those cars if you only need one or get rid of one and, uh, you know, maybe take that money. If you get a profit off it, pay off the others. I haven't, uh, you know, I've been debt free for a decade. I don't even understand what it is to have these debt loads anymore. But what I also tell people is once you become debt free, it's a different life. It's a completely different life. You will have so much more freedom than you had before. And you tend to make much better decisions in life because you're not burdened by, I have to make more money. I have to do this. I have to pay these things, keep paying these debts. And that's why I tell people, just start from the, you know, the basics, figure out what you're spending. That's probably the biggest one is people have no idea how much money they're spending every month. You you have a line in your book where you say the more freedom you have, the less money it takes to maintain that freedom. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, and it's a little rhetorical. It's the whole thing is I I tell people money equals freedom. Uh, you don't want to villainize money per se. Now, money and financial freedom are different than greed. Greed is a different animal. Greed is when you start pursuing money outside of what you feel is maintain your lifestyle, right? To make you happy. So the, the more money you have, the more potential freedom you can acquire. The more freedom you have, the less money it takes to maintain that freedom. And I give that example as student loans. Say you're just, you know, you're 25 years old, you're still paying your student loans off, you're, you're making, you know, average $55,000, dollars $56,000 a year for a college graduate today. And you pay, you decide to minimize your debt load and you downsize your living as simply as possible to pay down your student loans. Well, you spend two, three years paying down those student loans. You haven't really gotten a raise in work. 
but you've paid that debt load off. Well, you've actually gotten a raise because now you have that extra $700 a month or whatever that you didn't have before. Now you have more freedom, right? But you did, you're not earning any more money. So now it's going to take less money to, to maintain that level of freedom now. If that, does that make sense? How you, by just paying down your debt load, even though you're not making more money, you're giving yourself more freedom. Yeah. I mean, that's how I've been a, I've been a full-time writer for 20 years now, and it's not because I'm making stacks and stacks of money. I've done okay, but I live, um, I live in a rural area. I live in the middle of the country where my expenses are much less and I have much more flexibility to travel. Um, and I'm not an off-grid guy, but I think the fact that I'm based in Kansas rather than a fashionable part of, of New York mm -hmm. or San Francisco um, have plays a role in my freedom to do things like travel. I'm curious um, about your experience with off-grid living. I, I, I don't have time to go too deep, but I'm curious to know, and you also talk about uh, RV living as well. It sounds like you sort of used an RV to sort of transition yourself into off-grid living. Uh, so in a, in a concise way... Um, what drove your choice to go off grid? Um, how did that work, and what lessons did you learn and benefits have you have you harvested from living in this way? Well, I, like I said, I had the desire. I was looking into off grid living, and it was mainly because I just didn't want to pay utility bills. <laughs> After living in Southern California for a large part of my life, as anyone knows who lives in Southern California, the utility bills are ridiculous. I mean, they're, <laughs> I can't even explain how high they can get. So that was part of it. And also I wanted to be in control of those systems. I grew up, like I said, I grew up on, you know, my own septic, my own well. So I was familiar with it. The only thing I really didn't understand real well was solar. Um, so that was part of it. And then by living remote and buying raw land, you know, I looked into possibly being grid tied, uh, so I was still planning to possibly use solar and everything, but if I could run power as a backup, have high speed internet, cause I do run a business that maybe that would be an option. Well, when I went to the power company, I go, Oh, it's going to be at least $80,000 to run power and phone out there. I went, you know what? I think we're good. I think I'm going to go this off grid thing <laughs> that pretty much solidified it for me. And the, the RV living was a transition that I made from renting and my home base, and then making the next move into my RV, which it was kind of a downsizing progression. And the RV living was just further simplification. It was debt reduction, even another step. It was possession reduction, another step. And it gave me the ability to live wherever I wanted. I was no longer tied to anything. I could just pick up and move anytime I wanted. But the plan was to use the RV to live in on the property I made a mistake. My property is very difficult to get to. I wasn't getting RV up there. Um, I figured it out before I dragged it up there and went, okay, but I was fine. There's RV parks down below, not too far from me that were real cheap, 300 bucks a month, utilities included. I mean, dirt cheap. So it all worked out in the end. And the reason, reason for that, I mean, basically just freedom. I mean, that would be the biggest part of it is I don't have any bills. I mean, I own a house outright. I have a lot of hard work, blood and tears in this house. You know, I built a lot of it. It was more of just about freedom, right? Because now I don't have a house payment. So when I leave this house, if I leave for a prolonged period of time, it's not a big deal. 
you know, I'm not paying on it. You know, I have, to have property taxes, but you have that if you own property, you have that no matter what. You're not getting away from that. Now, your philosophy of the simple life, uh, as you write in your books, has three things. It's knowledge is power, avoid extremes, keep it simple, something is better than nothing, and take action today and every day. So let's talk a little bit about what these five things mean. Knowledge is power. Sure. Yeah, I have a saying, and I didn't coin it. If you're not learning, you're dead. And I've always been a firm believer in that, that humans are curious by our genetic makeup. You know, we're always learning. It was a survival mechanism. I always go back to, you know, prehistoric days and the human, and we've kind of lost that understanding that we are animals. We are a part of the earth. You come from the dirt, you return to the dirt. I know that sounds simple and people who live in cities and, you know, in, in houses and apartments and condos, it's hard for us to grasp that. We get all of our food in a store. We don't have to hunt for it anymore. But knowledge to me, it's about learning. I always, every day I wake up, I've, I'm always, how can I better myself today? What can I learn? What will increase my knowledge, which will, will make my life better, right? And I, I, these came from my health teachings in my health company, but they've integrated themselves into the simple life because they fit, they still fit, they fit everything. And knowledge is power. I always used to use on the health side to go, if you don't understand the basics of how the human body works and specifically your body, how are you ever going to be healthy? I mean, if you're just following programs and you don't understand the why, the how is just the how it doesn't have make much sense. So I always tell people, if you're going to do something and change your life, you got to know what the heck you're doing, <laughs> you know? And that's what you say about off-grid living. You got to have a plan and money. Well, without a plan, it would mean you're just following a template that someone set up for you and you're probably going to fail because, again, you don't know the why. Um, avoid extremes. Gosh, today we are such an instant gratification society. We love to go from zero to 100 in anything we do to change our life. And health, again, is the most obvious. But even people I see trying to live remotely, you know, they, they watch a couple TV shows about, you know, reality. I'd use that loosely of people living remote lifestyles in Alaska or wherever. And it's all for TV. And people go, I'm going to sell my house in the city. I'm going to drive up with my BMW and my poodle. And I'm going to go live in the mountains. And I've seen it. I don't, I'm not making that up and <laughs> just being a jerk. I've actually seen a couple of people try and do that. They never make it. And avoid extremes. Take it step by step. You know, I did this. I spent a decade on my plan of coming together where I'm at today. I started at 40. I'm almost 50 now. It was step by step. It was I didn't take drastic moves. I had a plan. I put it together. So, so hatch a plan and put it into action and don't take drastic steps. Hmm. Keep it simple. That one's obvious. We overcomplicate everything today. Everything. Uh, people are amazed that I run my business with a, with basically with a smartphone and a laptop. So again, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate. Don't make things too hard. Health is a great one too. You know, people want to take 15 million classes. They want to do, you know, three different, different diets. They're jumping from thing to thing. Health is simple. Move, live in the moment, eat food, eat real food, 
eat when you're hungry. Hmm. <laughs> and people go, it can't be that simple. It is. It is. It's in our wiring. That you know, and and you know, something is better than nothing. People today just either they want it, if they can't get it all at once, they're like, I'm not going to do it. No, do something. Do something. It doesn't matter if you're just you've never worked out before. You've never you know played athletics. Never done anything. Do a couple push-ups in the morning. Do a couple air squats walk around your block five times take the dog for a walk take the kids for a walk something do something and people just don't understand that like i said it's it's again that jumps to ex avoid extremes they think that well i need to instantly buy p90x and and go kill myself even though i've never exercised before no no you need to learn how to walk first just walk <laughs> then we can work up to jogging then maybe we can work up to running then maybe some wind sprints take it do something take action today and every day is the same thing i always have a list of things that i do every day right every i never have a day where i go huh i don't have anything to do i have something to do every single day you can always fill that time with something positive on average today the average american spends seven hours on the internet, their smartphone, social media, or on an electronic device watching TV. Seven hours a day. Are you telling me there's not time in that seven hours to do something positive with your life and go in a direction that you want to go in? Because what I'm sure you hear this all the time with travel. What's the excuse you always get? I don't have the time. I don't have the money. You have both. You're just mismanaging both of them. So take action today and every day. Don't put it off. Don't make excuses. And this is proof too. It's much easier to make excuses and blame other people for your problems than to take action. Well, one advantage I have as a person who talks to people about travel is that travel is a very concrete thing. It's a very concrete focus and goal. And there are concrete steps that can be made towards travel. It can be long-term. It can be a little bit shorter. Whereas... Um, Sometimes if you're just telling people to simplify, then they find themselves with more time and more money, but no real sense, maybe if they're not dreaming of travel, for what to do with all this time and money. So how do you yes. help people focus these goals and, 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 and really reflect on what to do with this new money and time, especially in you know avoiding these pitfalls like social media getting sucking up all our free time? That's a great question. Guys, I went through that myself. Uh, you know, as spending time young with all this time to go on adventures and riding my bike and going everywhere, being in the normal work grind, living in cities, what I'd found is I'd forgotten my hobbies. I didn't have the hobbies I had before or as a youngster. And what happened was once I found this new new freedom, and I've seen it with other people that I've worked with is all of a sudden you have this free time you didn't have before. And you're all, well, how do I fill it? And I always tell people, having too much freedom can be overwhelming if you're not prepared for it. Because we, we're so used to the things we've told in society that we must do to fill our time, that once we're now living for ourselves and doing the things we want, well, those things are no longer sucking our time and effort. So, it's a bit tricky 
at first, but once you figure it out, that's why the three-legged stool, life purpose. That's the one I tell people. And I define life purpose as doing something you would do even if you weren't paid to do it. For me, I'm a teacher. I like helping people. That's where I've spent most of my life. I thought in the government, that's what I was doing. Near the end, I decided it wasn't really working out that way. So it was time for me to go on my new life venture. And it could be something, I use this example, it could be something as simple as, say you have a passion for artisan chocolate and treats, right? That's your, you make these, you've made them for your family, the holidays, friends, everyone loves them. Well, maybe there's your life purpose right there. You can start your own shop. You can be an entrepreneur. You start selling this in your community. You have a shop in your community. People come from all over to, to buy your, your, your treats and they tell their family about it and it goes on generation. And this is what happened, you know, before the industrial revolution primarily, right? Small mom and pop shops. Um, so now your life purpose is providing that treat or those that service to people and it makes them happy. You get happiness out of it too. It's really simple, but we tend to overthink life purpose. It could be being the best mother, best father you could possibly, best friend, son, daughter, whatever it is, you have to find your life purpose. And with life purpose, your life purpose will fill that gap of that newfound freedom, having the extra money, having the extra time. That's what I do. When I find myself, if I have a little extra time, I go, okay, what can I do to create something to help people? That's where my books come from. That's where my products come from. And people go, wow. So it, it, even though it's a job, right? But I tell them, I enjoy doing this. I don't have to be forced to get up in the morning. I wake up every morning going, life's good. My office is in my bedroom. <laughs> Not that I spend all my time in my office. I don't do that. But my life purpose is helping other people with my knowledge and experience. And it's not because I'm a know-it-all. I share what I share. You can take it and use it how you want is my attitude. It's not for everyone. You're not going to hurt my feelings if it's not for you. I get that. But it's still my life purpose, and that's not going to change. Now, I know that there's a lot of people – uh, who are listening to this. And I think everybody who's listening is going to be in a slightly different situation. Some people are going to be experiencing certain kinds of debt. Some people, you know, don't have a problem with, with debt at all, but are, but are ch uh, facing other mm -hmm. financial challenges. So as we come to the top of the hour, where should people start? What is a, what is a, a bag of strategies that we can draw from? If even in a small and incremental way, we want to simplify our life in a way that would pay off in more money and more time. Uh, like I said, I always start with health. I tell people uh, without your health, you really don't have much. Uh, health is key. It determines everything in your life. It determines your relationships, your ability to communicate with others, your ability to sleep, your ability to feel good, your cognitive function. You know. Uh, uh, you know, just aches and pains, your mental attitude, you know, dealing with uh, depression, you know, all these things come together on health. And I tell people, I am more productive today than I was in my 20s. And I give it full credit to me working on my health all the time. 
And they go, well, I don't have time to do that. I go, I don't spend that much time. <laughs> People would be shocked how little time I spend on my health because now it's second nature. I've worked on it for so long that it's just a part of my everyday routine. It's already built into the formula. I don't have to concentrate on it all the time. It's not taxing. I spend far less time on it than the average American because, again, it's part of my life. That is the place to start because everything else will flow from that. It will, it will give you the ability to think more clearly, make much better decisions. I mean I, I've seen it with clients time and time again when the light goes on. And they're like, you were right. I didn't believe you, but you're totally right. I'm making much better decisions in life. Well, you've eliminated all the fog. You've eliminated all the crap in your diet. Your brain's actually getting nutrients. <laughs> you're moving. You're getting the blood flowing. Not only that, but being healthy is far cheaper than being unhealthy. And I know people have fought me on this one tooth and nail, especially clients back in the day. I've won this bet every single time. It is cheaper to be healthy. It, it, that is where you start. So by starting there, first of all, you're going to feel better. And if you focus on your health and not spending as much time chasing fad diets, fad exercise techniques and all that, it'll give you more free time. And the money you save, again, so it'll start there, will then be more productive, give you the ability to make more money. And again, to make those better decisions. Decisions. I know it's weird. People struggle with this one. What does health have to do with living simply? I say absolutely everything. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to Gary Collins' website and simplicity books, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Jan Futterman does the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.